while I have you here, before we officially get started tonight, let me remind all of you who are here tonight. We meet tonight, and then we meet next Tuesday, the 14th. Then we are off one week because it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so we're off on the 21st. Then we come back for three straight weeks, the 28th, the 5th of December, and the 12th of December, and then that's it till next year. Now here's the plan. Tonight and next Tuesday, I plan on finishing up 2 Peter, so that after we come back from Thanksgiving on the 28th, on the 5th of December, on the 12th of December, we're diving into my second favorite book of the Bible, the book of Jude. I can't wait. Jude is one of my favorite books because, honestly, it was the very first book after I became a Christian that I studied. And the reason I studied it is because I was told, and I give this advice too, I say, when somebody's a new Christian, I say, find a small book in the New Testament. Well, as I was going through the New Testament, this book only had 25 verses. I thought, that's pretty small, you know. But as I got in and then I studied it, I was like, oh my goodness, there's so much in these 25 verses. And it just became very endearing to me. I just like, wow, it's really cool. Plus, I think for me, and we'll get into this in a couple of weeks when we study Jude, Jude has a unique perspective on everything because Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. In other words, Jude grew up with Jesus. He was one of Joseph and Mary's other children that came after Jesus. And so to grow up, in the home with Jesus and all of that, I think it provides us a very unique perspective on, uh, on things. And the other thing that I like about Jude, just for commercial here, for the next after, is Jude is also strategically placed in the canon of Scripture because it is the book right before the book of Revelation. And Revelation primarily deals with things that are going to happen in the future. But what book then really speaks to where we are right now who are living sort of in the last of the last days before Jesus comes and what we're having to navigate well that's the book of Jude the book of Jude is a book that really speaks to Christians who are living right before the time of revelation so it's a very timely book a very powerful book and I can't wait to share the book of Jude with you guys so please hope you'll come back out invite somebody to come with you not just next week the 14th of November, but then after we take that one-week break for Thanksgiving on the 21st, and we come back on the 28th, the 5th of December, and the 12th of December, uh, I hope many of you can be here for that. Uh, let me just ask, how many of you have ever done an in-depth study of the book of Jude? Okay, so right there. And I bet if I asked that question on a Sunday morning at Cornerstone, you probably wouldn't have too many hands come up either. It's just a book that Many people have never studied in depth, and it's an important book. It's a great book, and it's only 25 verses. You could actually read the whole book in 10 minutes and have it done. So anyway, it's going to be a great study. I hope that many of you will come back for that, but we've got a lot of good stuff in Second Peter, too, before we go. Second Peter, chapter 2. Let's get into it tonight. For those of you that have not been here that's cool, because one of the, again, selling points of the mind is that you can come any week, and any week is going to stand on its own. So you don't have to feel like I've got to be here every week in order to get what's going on. I will usually do some kind of a quick review or whatever, or at least let you know 
what the foundation is that we're talking about for that evening. And let me just say, for those of you that have not been here for 2 Peter, that 2 Peter is all about growing as a Christian. That once I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I need to keep growing. And there's so many good reasons that Peter has already given us to keep growing. We've talked about those in chapter 1. One of the things that Peter reminds us of is that the Christian life is never static. I'm either moving forward in my relationship with Christ or I'm moving backward. I cannot get to a point where I just sort of level off and stay the same. So I've got to continue to press forward and continue to grow because the only other alternative is to move backward and to fall backward. Now, at the end of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, Peter was talking to us about the great gift that God has given us, the Bible, and how reliable it is and how sufficient it is, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that's one of the key components of our growth. In fact, 2 Peter 2.2 says, uh, as newborn babes, or not 2 Peter 2.2, 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that we might grow. And so we know that our growth as a Christian is directly connected to our relationship with the word of God. And so he ends chapter 1 talking about the Bible, the word of God, it is God's word, it is God's breathe, it is God breathed, God gave it, and we have received it. And so that's where he ends chapter one. But then when he transitions into chapter two, here's what he's telling us. He's saying, now I know that one of the key reasons, or that there's several key reasons to keep growing as a Christian. In chapter two, he gives us another key reason. And that is that I've got to keep growing as a Christian because there's going to be false teachers out there and there's going to be false teaching out there. And the best way for me to be able to discern what's of God and what's not of God is to continue to pursue my relationship with Christ and continue to study the Word of God because there's going to be so much out there that isn't true, that if I buy into it, it's going to affect my Christian life. All right? And so notice, he says at the beginning of uh, chapter 2 of 2 Peter, but false prophets arose among the people, the people of Israel, the people of, of, of Judah, just as there will be false teachers among you. These false teachers will infiltrate your midst, with destructive heresies, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. A couple things. One of the things he reminds us of, and why this is so dangerous, is because he says these false teachers are not bred outside the church. They are actually bred inside the church. Most of the time, false teachers are products of an upbringing in either a somewhat of a Christian home, or they went to church, and and what I say is they know enough to be dangerous. And they've learned a little bit about the Bible and all of this, and then notice he says, and they bring into our midst these heresies. Alright? The word heresy can also mean opinion. Again, it's their opinions over the Word of God, and notice he describes them as destructive. Because what they are teaching is not only going to destroy the people who buy into their teachings, it's going to destroy them too. 
All right? So these teachings are very dangerous. He makes no bones about it. We've got to know the Bible. We've got to continue to grow in the Bible and learn the Bible because there's a lot of destructive heresies out there and people are going to try to bring those heresies into the body of Christ and sow them there. And that's why the people of God have to know what they believe and why they believe it so that they can say when those heresies come, no, 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 my friend, here's what the Bible teaches about that. All right? It doesn't say this, or where is the Bi- where does it say that in the Bible? No, here's what the Bible says. So that's why it's important that we as Christians, again, know what we believe and why we believe it because of all these false teachers. And the Bible teaches that These false teachers are only going to become more and more and more prevalent and more active because they're going to be energized demonically and be used by Satan to try to infiltrate the church and weaken it from within. As we always say a lot of times, the same thing is true with nations. You know, guys know I'm a big history buff. And nations that were at one time world powers when they eventually maybe were defeated by other nations, it was only because they had gotten to a point where they had been weakened from within first to where they became vulnerable to outside forces. And that's what the devil wants to do to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to weaken the church from within and sap it of the truth that can bring strength there in order for then his outside forces to come in and have more of an effect by the weakening of the church from within. And that's why he sows, if you will, these false teachers into the church, spreading their destructive heresies. Notice he goes on in verse 1 to say they even go to the point of denying the master who bought them. Now, a couple weeks ago, I want to point this out because this is really important. They're not going to come to you and say, I deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not where he's coming from when he says they're going to deny him that way. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Because remember, the verses we looked at in 2 Corinthians a couple weeks ago says Satan will most of the time, in order to be a deceiver, masquerade himself as an angel of light and his ministers will masquerade as a minister of righteousness. So they're not going to come at people even in the church and go hey, I'm here to try to spread some destructive heresy. And they're not going to do that. Okay, so then what does he really mean by the fact that they are denying then the master who bought them? Well, keep your finger there in 2 Peter, and I want to take you to a couple scriptures that I think will make this maybe clear. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew, to where Jesus is speaking, to Matthew 15. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. And here Jesus is really going off on the Pharisees, these religious leaders, again, who were religious, but they had no relationship with God personally. And they were teaching the Jewish people, basically, to not accept Jesus as their Messiah, to not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and to continue to follow them. All right? That's just one of the things that was going on there. So notice, in verse 7, Here's what Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day. Hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, and here it is, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And they worship me, but they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, in that day, these Jewish religious leaders had made up rules and made up rituals and made up man-made stuff, and they put that up on the same, in a sense, height as the Word of God. And Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The Word of God is to be our authority. Not these traditions that you men have cooked up. I mean, for instance, one of the traditions, if you wash your hands before a meal and you allow the water to, to run over both hands rather than just one, you, you, you're, you need cleansing. You're, you're terrible. You know, you're a, and Jesus is like, oh my goodness, these poor people, they, every time they go up to wash their hands, they've got to think, oh, now, did, did, did the water touch this hand too? I mean, so many things that they just added on to the Word of God. And Jesus says, then they elevated it to a point where it became as important as the Word of God. And here's what Jesus, though, says. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's exactly what Peter is saying when he says they deny the Master who bought them. They're not outwardly going to say, we deny Jesus. With their lips, they're going to say, hey, I'm for God, and I'm for you, and all of this. And it's going to look good, but their heart is far from him. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what defiles a person is not what goes into his mouth. It is what comes out of his mouth that defiles a person. And Jesus is simply saying in that day, just like a lot of times it is today, People are caught up on the externals. It's all about the externals. And Jesus says, look, it's what's on the inside that counts. And if your heart is right with God, then the outside will take care of itself. And it goes back to the whole separation between reformation and transformation. Man is into reformation because reformation means I'm trying to clean myself up. I'm trying to make myself a better person. And God would say... Well, the motive of trying to make yourself a better person is good, but you're going about it the wrong way. Reformation is not the answer. Transformation is the answer. Where I don't try to make myself better from the outside in, I try to make myself better from the inside out, which is the work of God. It is not the work of man. That's what he's saying here. Then the disciples came to him in verse 12 and says, Do you know then that when the Pharisees heard this saying, they were offended? Jesus, you offended the religious leaders of Israel. I love his reply. Every plant that my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Guess who he was talking about? He was talking about the religious leaders of Israel. And basically he was saying, my heavenly father didn't plant them. So one day, unless they get their life right, they're going to be uprooted. And then he said, leave them. Don't continue to follow them. They are blind guides. If someone who is blind leads another who is blind, both will fall into a pit. He's saying, they, they're telling you they know the way. But if you continue to follow them, you're going to end up the same place they are. Now, they come across as if they're religious, and they are religious. They come across as if they are speaking for God. But Jesus says... Leave them. Don't follow them. They're just blind guides leading you and you're both going to fall into the pit because they don't know where they came from and where they're going. 
And so we have to be very careful about the people that we follow, even if they seem to be religious. And that goes back to 2 Peter. Then if you go to Titus chapter 1, the book of Titus is just a little book in the New Testament past 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, if you just, it's sort of towards the end of, of the New Testament, not quite to 2 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter, but almost there. And in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, here's what Paul says. Paul says that there's going to be a group within the church who notice they profess to know God. Alright? And we've always said, the Bible clearly teaches that there's a group of people who are always going to be out there professing to know God. And they cause confusion. Because just because they profess to know God doesn't mean they do know God. And that's basically what Paul's reminding us of here. He says they profess to know God, but if you look at the conduct of their life with their deeds, they what? Deny Him. And when Peter says about these false teachers that they deny the Master who bought them, that's exactly what he's saying here. They profess as false teachers to know God, to be spokespeople for God, to be leading you the right way, but with their conduct... They are denying Him because there's a, there's a disconnect between what they profess with their mouth and how they live their life. And that's going to be a pattern that you're going to see if you read 2 Peter chapter 2. That's going to be a pattern all the way through. That what the message is and the way they're living their life is two totally different things. And that's one of the ways that you and I then can tell a false teacher. Because there needs to be some consistency there. There needs to be some measure of character and some matching of conduct with what they're saying. Alright? And so notice, he goes on to say, with their deeds they deny Him since they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good deed. He's not talking about a Christian there, folks. He's talking about somebody who doesn't know God. They profess to know God. But with their life, with the way they are living their life, they are denying Him. And so again, when Second Peter says, be careful of these false teachers, they're going to come to you as if, you know, they're from God, they know God, and all of this, we have to be very careful because here's the way Peter is described. And again, folks, when we go back to why this is so important, because this is why we need to keep growing. Because these false teachers are out there. And notice then if you go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. As you move through here, notice then in verse 2, here's the real sad thing. The real sad thing in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 is that many are going to follow them and their debauched lifestyles. And because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Wow. First of all, I want to go back to that word many. It means many. And so again, one of the reasons why things like the mine are important in Bible studies and small groups and life groups and small churches and anything that you can connect with the Bible and keep growing is because, folks, we are living 
in a day, in an age where there's so much false teaching out there that doesn't line up with God's Word, so many false teachers out there that what they're teaching, even though they come across as religious and God-fearing and all of that, doesn't line up with God's Word. And though they profess to know God, if you were looking at their life, they would be denying Him by the way that they live. Many are following them. Because maybe they're charismatic. Maybe they're a tremendous communicator. Maybe they come across as very sincere and genuine and all of those things. And again, as I've said here in the mind before, isn't it a lot easier for Satan to dupe people by putting his poison in a gallon of milk and just putting a couple drops in at a time? It looks so good that I don't see any poison there. He's not going to come at us with this dark jar with the skull and crossbones and poison on the outside and go, hey, you want to drink some of that? That's not the way Satan works. He works this way. He weaves 10% of his error in with 90% truth and then the people buy it and that 10% of error can end up destroying us because it's poison. And we have to be very, very careful. The other thing that I want to point out in verse 2 is this. By these people, the way of truth is slandered. Oh, man. Look at those hypocrites. Oh, man. You know, they, they claim to be for God and look at the way they live. Now, I know where some of you are going in your mind. But the bottom line is that, yeah, I realize all of us as Christians, we still sin, we still struggle. I realize all that. We're, we're not perfect. But you've got to understand something, too. If you're standing up in front of thousands, if not millions of people, and you are claiming to be a teacher of God's Word, and you're on radio, or you're on television, or you write books that are in Christian bookstores, and all of this, and then people begin to see what your life really looks like. Doesn't that cause pain and hurt to the whole body of... Sure it does. Because we're all lumped together. It, it, it's like, if you go... I'm just going to use Starbucks. You guys know I'm going to use Starbucks. If you go to a Starbucks and you get a bad caramel macchiato at one... You can say, well, you know what? I'm never going back to Starbucks again because I had a bad experience with that Starbucks. But what ends up happening is a lot of times that's the way people are with people that they come in contact with in what I'm just going to call, for lack of a better way to say it, the religious world. Okay, Some of it's real, some of it's good, but some of it isn't. It's all tied together, and especially for those outside, they just lump us all together. They don't know the difference. And so they're just going to say, well, that person over there, man, I'm not going to worry about God in my life. I'm not going to go. If that's, what, if that's what having a relationship with God's all about, I don't want any of that. Now, I realize, I realize that person might not even be a real Christian. But people who are outside the church don't. They, if it's hard for people inside the church to understand the confusion... How much harder is it for people outside who don't know God to look inside and go, what's that all about? It's hard for us to grasp all this sometimes, much less people. And that's where we have to then just take it and say, look, 
we have to try to be as good as an, as, as, of an example of what a follower of Christ is to be. Not a perfect example, but as good as possible, because people are going to watch our lives. And, and, and we, we need to live in such a way that we don't want to bring reproach to the name of Christ and to Christ. Okay? And that's, that's what it's all about. Well, these people eventually do that. Because their lifestyle eventually comes forward and then Christ himself or Christianity gets a black eye from some of these people. And let me just say, are some of them true Christians? Yes. Some people who have fallen into sin and all of that, some of them are true believers in Christ. But we also have to understand the other part of the equation. Some people who eventually cause the way of truth to be slandered in this context aren't even Christians. They claim to be followers of God. They profess to know God, but they really don't know God. And so when they have a moral meltdown, the way of truth is slandered. But it's hard for us then to go back to somebody who doesn't know God and go, well, I know they claim to be from God, but they really weren't. And they're going to just look at us like we got three heads at that point. And that's why the Bible says that Satan is out there working. He's working, trying to, again, weaken the church. And notice, and I'm going to stop here in just a moment. I, I, verse 3. Notice what the driving force is of these false teachers? Greed. They don't want you, really, and, and, and they're not really after you, trying to help you build a relationship with Christ or growing. They're after your money. It's all about padding their personal pockets. So in their greed, notice, they will exploit you with, and I love this word in the original language, my version says deceptive words. In the original language, it's the word plastos, plastic. And what it's basically saying is these people are so slick that they can sort of bend their words you know, however they need to, to get people to follow them and to listen to them and to send them money and all this kind of stuff. So again, we have to be very careful. And notice, Peter pulls no punches. Punches Their condemnation, which was pronounced long ago, is not sitting idly by. Their destruction is not asleep. Listen, folks, just because this is going on, don't get the picture that God's up there in heaven, wringing his hands, looking down on all that's going on on earth and go, oh, I've lost control, you know. What's it? Oh, this is... No. God's on his throne and he is in complete control and he's going to settle everything one day. Just because he doesn't settle it immediately doesn't mean it ain't going to get settled. I know that's bad English, but... We have to be careful that we think that somehow because a lightning bolt doesn't come from out of the sky and just immediately take care of all these problems, that somehow, well, God, you're, you're just not in control and you're not going to settle accounts. The Bible is going to teach us once again in 2 Peter chapter 2 that God is very well aware of everything that's going on, good and bad, and He's going to settle all accounts one day. In fact, notice He goes on, from verse 4 down through verse 10, to basically use examples of the angels who sinned, 
the judgment of the flood in Noah's day and the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah in Lot's day. And then he makes this summary statement in verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials and to reserve the unrighteous for punishment at the day of judgment. So don't think that when it looks like the world's out of control and, and, and God's not in control and what's God doing and, and you know why isn't this happening and why... Listen, God's in control. And what God isn't settling and bringing to the surface and judging and disciplining and all of that now, it's going to happen one day. Nobody's going to get away with anything. And on the good side, any good deed, any good deed that you do for Christ is never going to be forgotten and you're going to be rewarded for it. God's going to remember all the good and all the bad and everything's going to be settled one day. And those who know Christ are going to be rewarded for the way they live their life for Christ. So, again, it's all going to be settled. Our problem as human beings is we want God to settle it all now. And what the Bible is saying is God's not going to settle all the accounts on this side of eternity. Some things He's going to wait until eternity to settle. And even when God does choose to settle things, he gives people, good and bad, plenty of time to repent. So that people can't say, well, God, you never gave me a chance. Noah being a great example. God gave the people in Noah's day 120 years to hear the message of truth from the lips of Noah. And for 120 years, they hardened their heart and they said, nope, don't want to hear it. And then the Bible says the rains fell. So... It's not that God doesn't give warning. God is very patient. God gives people plenty of chance. But again, God knows how to deliver the godly from their trials. Noah and his family, Lot. And God knows how to reserve the unrighteous for punishment at the day of judgment. The wicked angels who rebelled with Lucifer, the people of Noah's day, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're just a couple of examples that Peter could have used. All right. I hope you're motivated to study the Word of God. Because, folks, we're living in this day. And we've got to have discernment. We've got to truly know what the Bible says because false teaching and false teachers are out there today and they're going to continue to spread their false doctrine, and it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. Alright? Let me share these verses, and then I'm going to stop for comments or questions. These verses are taken from 2 Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy, there's coming a time, Timothy, when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things and they will turn away from hearing the truth. And they will turn to hear myths and fables. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Alright. Comments, questions. Yes. Let me, ask that. Let me answer that one first. I think the best thing that we can do as a body of Christ and as Christians is just try to live as consistent a Christian life as possible. 
that's the best testimony for Christ, is to live and be as faithful a follower of Christ as we can be. Let me say something about Ted Haggard just for a moment, and, and please understand, please understand, all you who are going to, I don't know much about Ted Haggard, okay, and all of that, so I'm not, I don't feel like I can say too much about him or that whole situation, but I will say this, from what I know, from what I know, I would not put Ted Haggard in the false teacher category, okay? Here's the difference. What Ted Haggard taught was truth, as I know it, all right? He taught good things. He taught the Bible. It was his life that wasn't lined up with what the Bible taught. The difference is these false teachers, they not only live not according to the Bible, they're teaching unbiblical things, okay? So that's the double whammy for them. They not only aren't living according to the Bible, they're also teaching unbiblical things, all right? Now, here's the deal. What happened is still going to do as much damage to the body of Christ and to the testimony of Christ as, as a false teacher would. Because again, whether we're a true teacher or whether we're a false teacher, if we're saying one thing and then it come out that we're totally living another and there is that unbelievable hypocrisy in our life, the way of truth is going to be slandered. No doubt about it. But I did want to point that out. Okay? Um, so, but good, good question. Other thoughts? Let me just say this too, just for the sake of, this has just been a personal policy of mine that I try not to, I, I will not be mentioning a lot of people's names in connection with this, only because I feel like, look, I'm going to give you God's word, I'm going to let you guys take it and then apply it to the different people that you're hearing and seeing out there and who you're being exposed to, let you make that determination. All right? So I'm not going to get up here and say, so-and-so, this one's bad, that one's good. First of all, there's too many. Seriously. There's too many. If I start naming off the people that I think personally are false teachers on television, radio, and, and have books in the Christian bookstore, it'd probably take me a half an hour just to name them all off. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm saying. It, it's, a, it's a problem today. And again, that's why I tell Christians all the time, just because it's a book in the Christian bookstore doesn't mean it teaches. It's like Lynn said so well on Sunday at the end of, I think, every message. He said, look, Paul praised the Berean Christians because even the great apostle Paul, and who was a better preacher than Paul? Maybe only Jesus was a better preacher than Paul. Even Paul said, guys, you got it right, because you know what? You didn't take my word for it. Even Paul, you didn't take... You went home and studied and searched the Scriptures daily to see and make sure that what I was saying to you was right. And that is the best advice that any pastor or Bible teacher or anybody can give. Don't take my word for it. You study the Scriptures and you come to your own convictions about these things, because that's all that's going to matter in the end of the day anyway, is if you truly believe it in your heart. 
you can't live off my convictions and I can't live off yours or anybody else's. In fact, Paul said in Romans 15.4, let everybody be fully persuaded in his own mind about these things. And so I want you to come to your own convictions. I'm going to, on Tuesday night, lay a lot of scripture at your feet. But as I said, and hopefully get you excited about studying the Bible and, and excited about diving into these things, but ultimately at the end of the day and in eternity when we all stand before Christ, it's going to be what you came up with on your own and your own study, and your own reading of the Word of God, and your own convictions about these things, not living off somebody else's? Good question. And I know you guys probably, just how people get parts of the truth, but not all the truth, and how can we help them who are just maybe getting, they're, they're going to a church, or they're in a situation where they're hearing some truth, but not all the truth, and maybe they even want more truth. Uh, this may, this may sound very simplistic and whatever, but I just, try to, I just try to get people into this. I feel like if I can get them into this book, that, that a lot of that will take care of itself. I try to open them up to the Bible and just get them into the Bible. I don't try to criticize the church. I don't try to criticize anything else. I try to come at it from this Bible that God gave us is amazing. Have you ever read the Bible? And it's like the Bible is just terrific. And I try to just praise up the Bible so much that people are like, I want to check that Bible out. I want to read it for myself. I want to see what it says. And I truly believe that if people come to the Bible with an open mind and an open heart, God can just work through His Word and bring them understanding that they're not going to maybe get somewhere else. But that's an excellent question and, and, and it's something that we all struggle with. You know, how, do you, how do you get people, I, I think you just give them the word. You give them the truth as much as you can. Even if you, like we're coming up to the holidays, even if you send them a Thanksgiving card or a Christmas card or something, write some scripture verses in there and give them the Bible that way. And Anytime you can get them verses and get them scripture and show them this and show them that, the more Bible that they get, the more scripture they get, the better, the better off they're going to be. They're better off they're going to be. Both. In fact, uh, getting a little ahead of... The question was, uh, are they deceiving others or are they themselves deceived? And, and it's both. Uh, in fact, we're going to get to that. So let me just, let me just go through. There, there is actually a place where it, it says that uh, here in this passage of Scripture. Uh, notice in verse 10 at the end... It describes also these false teachers as very brazen and insolent. They're not afraid to insult the glorious ones. And I believe that he's talking there actually about the angels, but not good angels. Actually about demonic realm and Satan himself. Yet even angels, and that's the good angels, who are much more powerful than these false teachers do not bring a slanderous judgment against them, the bad angels, before the Lord. In other words, how do I want to say this? <clears throat> well, let's go over to verse 12. These men, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, do not understand whom they are insulting, and consequently in their destruction, they will be destroyed. A couple of things. First of all, they, they really are animalistic. They're sort of spiritual predators. And we're going to see that in a minute. They, they, they know who to prey upon. All right? They're very good. You know, we live in a world of physical predators where we know, you know, through the Internet and other things, there's always people out there who are 
preying on our children or people or whatever. Well, folks, we're living in a day of spiritual predators. People out there who are eyeing vulnerable people to prey upon them, to get them to follow them rather than truly following the Lord. And one of, again, their characteristics is not just their greediness and, and all of this and, and their debauched lifestyle, but also the fact that they're very arrogant and proud and they'll just go off on, on Satan and demons and they'll insult them. And, they'll, and they're, it's like he says, they're insulting people and, and the creatures of God. Even these demons that, that Peter calls still glorious ones, and they don't understand what they're doing. And they're messing around in the demonic world and they don't know what they're doing. And boy, that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, trust me, from somebody who's dealt with demon oppression and demon-possessed people and all of that, you don't want to get involved with that unless you really know what you're doing or else you're going to get blown up. Let me, let me show you a passage in the Bible that talks about this. Go back to the book of Acts, chapter 19. You know, Ron and Leonard getting ready to do this epic story on little-known stories of the Old Testament. Well, guess what? Here's probably a little-known story in the New Testament that'll just knock your socks off. All right? In Acts, chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, God was doing great miracles through the Apostle Paul at that time to confirm his apostleship. And there were these seven sons of a guy named Sceva who thought, wow, this power is pretty cool. I think we want to tap into that power and do some really cool things. And notice what it says, beginning in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that when even handkerchiefs or aprons had been touched, his body were brought to the sick, their diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. But some itinerant Jewish exorcists, trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were possessed by evil spirits, saying... I sternly warn you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now here, I just want to stop here real quick and say this. The name of Jesus is a powerful name. But you better know who you're using it and how you're using it and all that because you're going to see here in just a moment. Yeah, the name of Jesus is powerful, but you better know what you're doing when you use that name. Now seven sons of a man named Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And I love this. Notice, the evil spirit replied to them, I know about Jesus. (laughs) We know Jesus down here in the realm of the demonic because he certainly messed us up. And guess what? I also am acquainted with Paul. Because he's messing us up down here too. I've always thought as I read and studied this passage... Am I making such an impact for Christ in the time in which I live that the demons are talking about my name down there too? That they're saying, yeah, that Jeff Royce up there. We need to get rid of that guy. We need to get rid of this guy. We, because if we're truly making an impact for Christ, guess what? Not only are people around us going to know, but the demons are going to know too. And they knew Jesus. And they knew Paul. But notice... Who are you? And then the man who was possessed by the evil spirit jumped on them and beat them all into submission. They were messing in an area that they had no business messing in. And he prevailed, the demon-possessed man, against them so that they fled from the house naked and wounded. 
You think they ever did that again? You think they ever took the name of Jesus and went in and tried to perform some kind of exorcism? I don't think so. But notice what happened. This event became known to all who lived in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a place of magic and mysticism and all of that stuff. That all of those, both Jews and Greeks, fear came over them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was actually praised. Because they realized that there really was something about the name of Jesus. And even the demons knew Jesus. And so many of those who had believed came forward and were willing to say, Hey, I'm a Christ follower. And they confessed and made their deeds known. And large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them up in the presence of everyone. And when the value of the books was added up, it was found to be a total of 50,000 silver coins. That's a lot of money in that day. And notice, in this way, the word of the Lord continued to grow in power and to prevail. Wherever the Lord's work and His word was continuing to gain new ground, Satan was right there to try to oppose it. And what the Bible here is teaching throughout the book of Acts is every time Satan opposed it, God's word and and God's people just kept moving forward. It doesn't mean we're not going to be opposed. Satan's just not going to let us go. And just like Lynn has said, hey, with Cornerstone making all these inroads and more and more people coming and getting to know the Lord and growing in the Lord here, do you not think that this church is not a target? It sure is a target. It's a very big target. And so, you know, there's going to be opposition. But the point I wanted to make is just like with these false teachers, these guys were messing in an area where they had no business messing with Just like these false teachers do. They speak about things that they really don't know. And they mess in areas they really aren't qualified to to be in. But again, it's, it's all out there. Yeah, Mike. Notice back in 2 Peter that they're also very brazen in, in how, for these false teachers, there, there's no shame for them in what they do. Notice it says, by considering, verse 13, it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are stains and blemishes, indulging in their deceitful pleasures when they feast together with you. Their eyes are full of adultery. They never stop sinning. And literally that first phrase in verse 14 says this. Every woman they see is somebody they want to take to bed with. That's how bad it is with these these people. They, They are that, they are that, yeah, they're that overcome in their own sin. They entice, notice, unstable people. You see, what God wants to bring to our life is not only freedom, and what are we seeing here? We're seeing false teachers who are enslaved to their own sin. And Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, you'll be free indeed. So Jesus wants to bring freedom to people's lives. All these false teachers are bringing in their lives is is slavery. And that's all they're going to end up bringing to those who listen to them is slavery. And then the Bible teaches us that uh, God wants to bring stability into our life. And yet, who are they looking for? Who are they preying upon? They're looking for people who are unstable. People who maybe just went through a rough time in their life and they're, they're emotional and they're raw and they're full of pain and they're going to swoop in and they're going to put their arm around those per- and they're going to be there at the right moment 
or the wrong moment in their life, however you want to look at it, and they're going to suck them in because they're vulnerable at that point. And these people as spiritual predators have done it so well and so long, they're very good at being spiritual and knowing who they can go up to and who they can influence and who they... I mean, you know... And that's why building ourselves up in our faith and maturing and becoming a stable Christian, they're going to stay away from us because they're going to be able to see that they've got some stability to their life. They've got, they've got a foundation to their life. They've got some maturity to their life. I'm, I'm not going to be able to talk them out of anything. They know what they believe and why they believe it. And I don't want to go into verse 15 and 16 because Ron is going to be preaching on Balaam on Sunday morning. That's the first Old Testament character in the epic series that, that we're going to be looking at. So I, I don't want to talk about Balaam tonight. You come back Sunday and hear all the cool stuff about Balaam. But notice in verse 17, these men are waterless springs. Wow, isn't that a great picture? You know, they instead of ministering out of the overflow of their life, they have no overflow. They're waterless. They have no spiritual well to draw from. They're water, and, and here's the cool thing though, they look like a spring, they look like an oasis, they look like a place where I can get spiritual refreshment, but there's no true refreshment there. The things that they're truly telling me are not really refreshing my soul. Notice, they're mists driven by a storm for whom the utter depths of darkness have been reserved. Again, do you think he's talking here about saved people? No, not at all. This is not language for a Christian. Now notice, for by speaking high-sounding but empty words, they are able to entice with fleshly desires and with debauchery people who have just escaped from those who reside in air. It all sounds good, folks. It's that high-sounding stuff. Sounds good, sounds religious, sounds spiritual. They've got all what we call the God talk down. They've been around church. They've heard Christianese. They know all the words to say. They know when to say it. They can entice. They're good at what they do. And that's why we've got to be careful. That's why we've got to continue to grow. That's why we've got to continue to study the Word of God. And then verse 19. Here it is. These false teachers promise such people who follow them freedom. My friends, if, a, if any human being promises you freedom by following them, run. The only person that can give us freedom is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give us freedom. They promise people freedom, but notice, they themselves are enslaved to immorality. So again, blind leading the blind. They're, they're immoral and they're saying, oh, we'll, we'll give you freedom. You'll be free. You just follow me. Send in that check. Punch that credit card. Give me money. You'll be free. No, they're just as enslaved. And then here it is. For if after they have escaped the filthy things of the world through the rich knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again get entangled in them and succumb to them, their last state has become worse for them than their first. For here it is. It would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn back from the holy commandment that had been delivered to them. They are illustrations of the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing herself wallows in the mire. Folks, this is not talking about somebody who became a Christian and who then goes back to an old lifestyle. 
This is talking about somebody, again, in the context who professes to be a follower of God, but never was. And what it says by, well, they came to know, well, yeah, they came to know here. They came to know in their head. They came to know intellectually. Remember, the Greek word here is gnosis, not epinosis. It it means a mere intellectual knowledge, not a knowledge known by an intimate relationship that was Peter's talking about was so important to us in chapter 1. And it's simply saying, the biblical principle, the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. So if these people know the Bible, and they know about the Bible, and they've been exposed to the Bible, but then they turn and do their own thing, guess what? They're going to be held more accountable than those who never knew. And the reason we know that these people truly never had a transformational point in their life, go back to verse 22. They were still a dog. They were still a sow. You see, the Bible says if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. Which means then that the dog wouldn't have been a dog any longer, so the dog wouldn't have went back. And the sow wouldn't have been a sow any longer because in Christ they would have been a new creation. The reason why he uses those illustrations is because it was still a dog. It had never been changed. It had never been transformed. It was still a dog. They had all the information up here, but it never changed their heart. They never changed. They knew what to say, when to say it, where to go, all of that. Again, but no change. Still a dog, still a sow. And that's why they'll eventually go back to that because there was no change. They may have reformed themselves for a while, and, and human beings can reform themselves for a while. The difference between reformation and transformation is when you and I reform ourselves, it only lasts for a while. It's not long term. When Jesus Christ does a work in our life, it lasts for all of eternity. And Paul says, he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. That's the difference. Reformation, transformation. These people wanted something different. They wanted a better life. They, they maybe had had a bad life up to that point. They were looking, and here's these spiritual predators out there ready to pounce on them and say, I'll give you a new life. Just follow me. And they did. But what ended up happening is, just like with the false teacher, because there was no true spiritual transformation, they ended up going back and living just how they always lived. Because there was never really any heart change there. Again, going back to what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's why we say, folks, listen, profession of salvation is not enough. Jesus himself said there are going to be, in fact, let's just go to it, because I don't want you to take my word for it, Go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 15. And notice the context that this, these verses are in that I'm, we're going to get to. The context is dealing with false prophets, false teachers. What does Jesus say to his disciples? Matthew seven fifteen. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. Man, Paul even told the Ephesian church when he left, he says, guys, I'm commending you to the grace of God and to the word of His grace because after I leave, there's going to be wolves who come into this church and try to take you sheep 
And so you need to be strong. You need to know the Word of God because there are wolves out there who are disguising themselves as sheep and they're false prophets. Here's what he says. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from thistles, are they? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. So a good tree is not able to bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree to bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will recognize them by their fruit. Jesus is simply saying, if a tree over here claims to be an orange tree and it produces apples, I don't think it's an orange tree. It can say it's an orange tree, It can say it's an orange tree all the time, but if it's producing apples, guess what kind of tree it is? It's an apple tree. So Jesus is saying, folks, if somebody out there is saying, I'm a teacher of God, I'm that orange tree, you can follow me. But you look at their life and they're producing apples, Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. And then, context, verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now again, don't misunderstand what Jesus is teaching here. He's not saying that I get to heaven because of doing enough good works. He's simply saying that the best proof that I did have a transforming time in my life where I accepted Christ as my Savior is in doing the will of the Father. I'll be known by my fruit. And Jesus says to His own disciples, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. And then, on that day, and here's another staggering word, just like in 2 Peter, many, not few, many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, Didn't we prophesy in your name? Wow. Do you know a lot of people out there that are prophesying in the name of Jesus today? And Jesus says many of them will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's go on. Or in your name, cast out demons. Know anybody who's going around casting out demons in the name of Jesus? And do many powerful deeds. Does that mean they're going to heaven? Does that mean they're true? Does that mean that they're a Christian? Does that mean they're... No. Because here's what Jesus says. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Because here's the key. It's about a personal relationship. That's what we teach. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we say here at Cornerstone to people. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And unless you and I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to where there's that personal relationship, all the good deeds and all the casting out of demons and all the many wonderful works and all the prophesying in His name doesn't make up for a lack of a personal relationship. I've always thought this passage is one of the most sobering in all the Bible for this reason. You begin to think when you meditate upon this passage of Scripture how many people think, according to Jesus now, this is is Jesus Himself, how many people think they're going to be in heaven? And they're not. 
They've actually deceived themselves, according to this passage, and thinking, I'm in, right? I'm in. I've done all this stuff. And Jesus will go, I'm sorry. There was no relationship there. Because it's all based upon a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you think, what? Wow. And again, to Emma, he doesn't say just a few. He says, many will say to me in that day. Many. Many will follow the false teachers. We cannot downplay this, folks. This is what the scripture plainly says, and we've got to do And that's why, again, you know what? Not for me, but, but I, wish, I wish this room couldn't hold everybody that wanted to study the Bible on Tuesday night, because folks, we need more people in our midst, and not just at Cornerstone, but in America today, who are willing to come out to Bible studies and study the Bible and get into the Bible more and read it and study whatever, because we need the Bible and we need the knowledge of God's Word more than ever to direct us. Because we are living in these days and we are in the midst of it right now. And there are people who are deceiving and who are being deceived. And we desperately need to just focus upon the Lord, keep our eyes upon Him, and get into the Word of God. Pretty sobering. Pretty sobering. Now, I'm not here to cast doubt on your salvation. But I will say this. I hope that everyone in here makes sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the because mo- that's what it's all about. And that but if you have that, then you just have to trust the word of God. You're saved. And you're not going to have to worry about that in Matthew 7. Because you're already there as far as God's concerned. You're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And you'll know, one of the questions I'm going to answer is uh, somebody, uh, several people ask, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know? How do I know? Well, the Bible says that one of the reasons we know is because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Romans chapter 8 says that the Holy Spirit of God will witness with our spirit that we are His children. I don't know how a person can have God living within them and not know God's living there. And the Bible says, when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, God in the person of the Holy Spirit comes into my life and dwells inside of me. And then John says in 1 John 5, 13, that these things were written so that we might know that we have eternal life. I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to find out, okay, God, did I make it or not? You know, the whole scale thing, did I, did I do enough good? Where did no, because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I can know right now that I have eternal life. Because again, folks, remember, eternal life is not just a quantity of life, it is a quality of life that Jesus wants us to begin to enjoy right here and now. Not wait till we get to heaven to enjoy. That's why Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. We can begin to enjoy our eternal life here and now. And let me just say this. I know, it's a pet peeve of mine, just please bear with me. I know there's a disagreement with a lot of good people over this issue about this whole eternal security and once saved, always saved and all that. But let me just say this. Jesus said 
that we will have eternal life. The very definition of eternal life means eternal life. If it wasn't eternal, then Jesus would have said, if you accept me, you'll have temporary life. But we're not sure it's going to be eternal yet because if you do something to lose your salvation, then I can't call it eternal. I mean, the very fact that it's called eternal life means it's eternal. It's not temporary. It's not something that I can lose or it wouldn't be eternal life. So, anyway, I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> if, yes, no, good question. If... If Ted Haggard is a born again, has a personal relationship, yeah, he's saved. And, and, oh yeah. Well, you, I mean, you figure, you figure the pain that that man is having. First of all, he's lost his church. He's going to struggle in his relationship with his wife. He has five children that are going to look at him differently. All those people that... I mean, this man is going to suffer. And that's where... I tell you, look, does God forgive him? God actually has already forgiven him. But that doesn't mean that there's not consequences to forgiven sin. And that poor man's going to suffer consequences for his sin for the rest of his life. And lose some rewards in heaven. And the thing that makes something like this whole thing with Ted Haggard, again, that much is because of who he was. He was a pastor of a church of 14,000. He was president of the National Evangelical Association of 30 million people. Uh, I mean, he spoke with on the level of people like John Maxwell and Rick Warren and people that we all know. So in a sense, you know, had, had uh, the ear of George Bush and would be at the White House and stuff like this, like Billy Graham used to be with presidents and all that. So he was... High up, if you will. And we know that that's who Satan goes after. Because again, the people that he can get high, and not that he doesn't go after all of us, but the higher up that he can get, the more damage he can do. And we, if we know that and we figured that out, you know Satan figured that out. So Satan does go after. And that's why we have to pray for our leaders and pray for those in authority over us and, and keep them in prayer stuff. Because guys, Satan, Satan goes after them. Goes after him. Yeah, Sharon. Just you think about the respect that that man lost. Even in his own family, that's enough pain right there. I mean, it just, we can't imagine. So, you know, and again, you know, only God knows whether he really has a personal relationship, but all I was trying to make the difference earlier was he did speak the Bible and he spoke truth. It's just his life was where the false teachers, the difference there is. They not only live wrong, but they are spreading unbiblical stuff. Yes. Excellent question. And in fact, in one of the services, I don't know, Lynn actually had that question or a similar question on Sunday. And here was his great response to that. I'll just give it because his was better than I could come up with. A lot of times these folks are talking about Jesus. But if you begin to compare the Jesus that they're talking about, it's not the same Jesus that we're talking about. So even though they might say, I have a personal relationship with God, is it truly what the Bible says is a personal relationship with God? Like, again, I'm not saying it's not, but a lot of times they use the same language that we use, but it doesn't mean the same thing. Uh, to certain people, they use Jesus 
And they'll even say, yeah, Jesus this and Jesus that. But then when you begin to probe a little bit deeper into what they believe, they don't believe Jesus was God or they believe he was uh, uh, yeah, a good teacher. They believe he was uh, a prophet, uh, an angel, uh, you know, whatever. They do not believe that he was God, a very God, and that he is the only way to heaven. That even they might say, well, we believe in Jesus, but we also believe that you need to do this plus Jesus. And see, we would say, well, okay, no, no, here's what the Bible says. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's it, Jesus. So again, you have to sort of probe sometimes below the surface. Because on the surface, like with the, with the iceberg, you're only seeing the surface of what they want you to see, which again, sometimes these people are very good at that. But once you get below the surface, there's a whole bunch of stuff below the surface that doesn't line up. So I would just say, good question. Just try to probe a little bit deeper and see if, the words that they say and what they're saying in the language is really lining up with what the Bible says. Yeah. Mike. Well, these false teachers in Second Peter 2 use Scripture. The devil uses Scripture. When the devil tempted Jesus, he used Scripture. devil knows Scripture probably better than we all do, okay? He just twists it and uses it to his own end. Same thing with these false teachers. They're going to use Scripture. And that's why we've got to grow. That's why we've got to continue to be in the Bible. That's why we've got to study the Bible and continue to know more and more about that and have that insatiable desire to get into God's Word because we want to be strong and we, we want to make an impact and we don't want to allow these false teachers and this false teaching to keep us from being all that God created us to be and to deceive us and to... To, to get into our lives and, and cause some problems in our own lives because we, we just didn't see it. You know, Get yourself into a, a good church, good Bible study, around good Christians who are studying God's Word. And man, keep growing, folks. Keep growing. So I hope you all come back next Tuesday so that we can keep growing. Let's close in prayer. Good stuff. Father God, thank you so much for these wonderful folks that come out on Tuesday night. Lord, bless them with your spirit and your word. Open up your word, Lord, like never before. May they see for themselves so much truth that can just help them even this week. Thank you, Lord. And just go with us. Take us all home safely tonight. Bring us back next Tuesday night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You're terrific.